For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to episode 10 of the Baseball from Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He's Joe Brand. We're brought to you by the House of L podcast network. A winner for the White Sox this afternoon. A loss for the Cubs in Detroit. We're going to get to it all. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe's been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1 McKnight. He is at Joe underscore brand one. You can rate and review the podcast as well. It helps us get the thing moving. It's not just vanity, I promise. Though, yeah, I got a little bit of vanity. But if you like us, help us out. And we'll get to more people that way. You don't have to be the person in your friend group who's like, hey, I got a great podcast you should listen to because nobody likes that person. Nobody's asking for that person's opinion. So if you just rate us, the algorithm does the work and it gets the podcast you like to all of your friends. At least that's how I think the algorithm works. It could also be magic, and I guess if you want to tell your friends about the podcast, that's fine too. Every show we cover the Cubs, we cover the White Sox in no particular order. We will kick it around the league and hit some big storylines there as well. We appreciate your ears. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. So the Cubs are coming off not only just a loss to Detroit, but a series loss. That makes them now 5-9 and nine since starting the year 13-3. and three. In 2020 numbers, that's 13.5 and 24.3. That's the Cubs' record after their mammoth start. Meanwhile, the White Sox, 24.3 and 2-7 and seven on their 9-1 run. None of this, well, the winning and the losing, I guess, would be possible without David Hochberg on the Cubs and Sox side of things. But the podcast would not be possible without everybody at Team Hochberg. Not only would I not have a roof over my head, but they sponsor the House of L Network and our show, too. I had Team Hochberg wrap up my mortgage for the house here in Wicker Park. They were absolutely amazing. It was my absolute first journey in purchasing a home. Uh, they were fantastic. They knew exactly what kinds of pitfalls and mistakes I was going to make as a first-time home buyer, and some of them you just kind of have to do, so that's on me. And they were like, don't worry, we knew that was going to happen. We've got you. That's fine. Here's how we make up for that little mistake. And the other ones were just like, well, don't do this, Connor. Don't do this. Here's how you do this instead. They had my back every single step of the way. They were absolutely fantastic. And I knew no matter what house I was going out to or what of the uh, a couple of different offers that I put in on places, I knew that the folks at Team Hochberg were going to have my back financially and I was going to have what I needed to have when I went to the table for a house. I could not be happier with everybody at Team Hochberg, and I know you will feel the same. Call them at 855-56-DAVID or head to the website, 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS 1124061. So, Joe, as you mentioned, the Cubs 
Now 48.6 and 32.4 on the season. That, of course, are their wins and losses multiplied by 2.7 because that's what we're doing now in 2020. The White Sox are 51.3 and 32.4. We will flip the coin as we, I don't know, often do on the podcast. It's certainly not always. Heads is Cubs. White Sox is Tails. And we'll determine who goes first. It's Heads again. I feel like I feel like six of the last coin flips have all been heads. That means we begin with the Cubs, uh, who, Joe, as you mentioned, have hit a rough patch, really, with the series lost to Detroit. I, just a couple of things that I kind of want to get out of the way about tonight's game, uh, Wednesday night's game against the Tigers. There were a lot of hard-hit baseballs. There were a lot of hard-hit baseballs that found mitts for the Cubs, uh, Anthony Rizzo smoked a pair. That one to dead center goes out of just about any other ballpark in the big leagues. The one to right field just found a mitt. Um, the fact that the Tigers, anybody in the Tigers' left field was able to get in front of a ball was a miracle. Uh, they have some left fielders who are worse than Aloy Jimenez in that outfield. So that was just a whole adventure out there. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think you can kind of look at this Tigers series two ways. One is you knew this bullpen was going to have a night like this because this is what you expected this bullpen to look like. And the other is, you know, you could chew your fingernails off to the very nubs if you wanted and fret about the offense. I think I think both approaches have some validation to them, but I'm kind of, given the way Kyle Hendricks has pitched, you Darvish has pitched, that given how injured they've been too with Chris Bryant out, I'm kind of choosing to take the rosier approach to things, at least for now. You're definitely more optimistic than I am at this moment. I, I don't know. Th- this whole last game on, on Wednesday, I was trying to figure out the Cubs and thinking, you know, how how has this drop-off happened? And we have talked about it, again, with, with the offense being deep in the beginning and now not so much. Um, and when you bring up the the hard hit rate, it, it's ironic that Detroit has apparently one of the top hard hit rates in the whole major leagues. But the difference in this game ended up being a couple of soft hits that they got off of John Lester in this game. Um, you're right; it it comes down to the bullpen. So I I guess what that makes me question is what kind of playoff team will this Cubs team be? Because we both think that this is a playoff team. And I think just the numbers speak for themselves with it because of a shortened season. But just last podcast, you asked me, does a good Craig Kimbrell make it a good Cubs bullpen? And I said, yes. And I thought that very much. Um, But Rowan Wick and Ryan Tapera got a little knocked around today by the Detroit Tigers and that's not a good recipe and with with this offense kind of coming down to earth and I know Chris Bryan is hurt and I know Javi Baez even though he hit two home runs in this series may not still be Javi Baez we know that these Cubs offensive struggles have been happening year after year so what gives you the optimism that they can fully turn it around is it the vibrant dugout that almost got a whole rally in the ninth inning in today's game maybe because that almost seemed to be the recipe for success but I don't know I'm almost I was almost ready to start thinking of how the Cubs eulogy would start when this game was starting to end and then in the ninth I'm like okay 
hold on, let's pump the brakes. Is this like the series against St. Louis? And I get it, it's one game, but that's two out of two the Detroit Tigers. No, you're right. Uh, but Lennon JD pointed it out today, too. You know, this is the halfway mark, right? They've played 30 games, they're 18 and 12. They are, you know, again, if you run that through the math filter of 2020, where everything's worth 2.7, they're 16 games up at the break, right? I mean, that's that's what it feels like, even though that's not what it feels like. So I, I don't know that I'm necessarily optimistic that the Cubs turn into a team that can take down the Dodgers in the National League. I, I think I just kind of expect them to be about the midpoint between the first two weeks and the last two weeks of baseball. Um, I know that's splitting hairs a little bit here, but the the fact is what David Ross said the other day is true. The Cubs have chosen to live and die with this core, Contreras, Schwarber, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, and they've chosen to do it year after year after year after year. And guess what? Like, because of what's going to happen to this team's, oh, well, I should put it this way. Because of what the Cubs have chosen to allow to happen to this year's finances and how the pandemic has affected what are probably very real income numbers, this will be the team again next year. I, I find it really hard to believe that a Chris Bryant trade, given what his 2020 season is going to look like from here on out, right? is is going to be anything that's that's enticing for that front office. You've already spent the money. I I they'll just they'll run that offense back again. Um I, I don't know that that should make Cubs fans necessarily healthy, but it is the same it's the same proposition as it's always been. One or two of those guys get hot at the right time and they're enough to carry you through a playoff series given the way they're pitching. I don't know whether any one of those guys at the same time as another gets hot for a series, but it's no longer the way that, like, I, that will no longer get you by the Dodgers. That'll get you by your first round. It won't get you by the Dodgers. And that's where this, that's where I, I think this fan base just keeps on throwing its head up against the wall, kind of knowing that. Well, and that's also why I wonder is this season kind of a benefit for the Cubs because of the start that they got off on to? I mean, I, I don't know what this team looks like in a 162-game season with what they're showing right now. I mean, they get their hot stretch. They deal with some injuries. Some of these starters come back down to earth, and all of a sudden we're hitting the same problems again. And Patrick Mooney's recent report, I mean, he, he points out bluntly in one sentence, the Cubs need Tyler Chatwood and Jose Quintana. And I know that's not a surprise. That's not news to anybody. But if they don't get them at the height and at the value that they need them for this year, what is this pitching staff looking like? Because like you said, you, you can pretty much rely on Hendricks. You can pretty much rely on Darvish. I'll take that back. You can rely on Hendricks. You can pretty much rely on Darvish. John Lester today it was the laboring veteran left-hander that we know and love, but he had trouble, what, getting out of the fifth, sixth inning against the against the, I keep going old school and Detroit Tigers but the Detroit Tigers the Detroit Tigers I mean we you need a little bit more than that you really do and then when you get into this bullpen that has just constantly struggled and it's just been one arm after another just kind of imploding you got a closer by committee and Jeremy Jeffries and and Craig Kimbrell who are on the upside right now we don't know if this is a total 
turnaround for these guys. I mean, Kimbrell today looked a little bit shaky control-wise. We've been praising what he's been able to do over the past couple of games. But even he did that thing where he he throws it way out of the strike zone and he kind of gives himself, come on, what are you doing? And then he misses a call and he doesn't even really argue because he's like, you know what, I don't deserve it right now. It's, it is somewhat scary for Cub fans to think about. I mean, heck, a, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I was really high on this team, but I'm just maybe coming back down to earth with them now. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I wonder, though, if what gives you more pause? Tyler Chatwood regressing to uh, the walk numbers that we're more used to with Tyler Chatwood or Javi Baez being what he's been all season? Because... Because for me, it's Javi Baez. It's not Tyler Chatwood in that rotation. Like, I, I get Patrick Mooney's point in The Athletic that they need Tyler Chatwood and need Jose Quintana to perform to, you know, relative levels in the rotation. But barring that, Hendricks, Darvish, and figure it out for the rest of a playoff series is fine with me if you have a representative Javi Baez, if you have a representative Chris Bryant, and one of Schwarber, Contreras... Rizzo, you know what I'm saying? Like one of those, and Ian Happ continues to be Ian Happ. That that is, I'm I'm happier with that prospect in a in a five game series than I would be with Tyler Chatwood throwing particularly well and the offense not working. Yeah, I would agree with you. And also because the the Cubs have just kind of proven that point already this year that their offense is the main reason of why they're why they're doing or rather why their record is what it is. I get it. The rotation was huge at the beginning of the year, but you take it those, you look at those two games against the Cardinals in, in the five game series of the bottom of the double headers. I mean, it was the offense that pulled it out today. It was nearly or Wednesday night against the Tigers. It was nearly the offense that pulled it out. It's going to be the offense that spark plugs this team, I think. Um, and it's it's going to be the offense that can make them get a long run in the playoffs because otherwise I, I don't see the depth of the pitching staff being the saving grace. So at this point, you know, I, I think we were ready to see Jose Quintana, or at least I'll, I'll speak for myself, I was kind of ready to see how the Cubs would use Jose Quintana as a bullpen arm um, or at, at most like a, a tandem for either getting a start and then going to Chatwood or Chatwood getting the start and then going to Quintana. You know, it's kind of like a paired piggyback thing. I I don't know now that they have that luxury the same way that I thought they might with Tyler Chatwood slipping back into his into the walk problems that he's got. And I want to be clear, like, his last start before he went on the injured list, he was getting hit because he was in the strike zone. And I stated, yeah. you know, in the podcast after that, that that's less worrisome to me than the walks coming back and you know if he's if he's still tight if he's not a hundred a hundred percent but well enough to pitch and just kind of work some things out that's one thing but I I saw a lot of the old Tyler Chatwood there and that is worrisome I don't know where Quintana's at I I don't know how you felt uh, about watching him the other night for the for the Cubs coming in in relief of Chatwood I was glad that they were able to get him work right away I, I think it goes back to something you said either last pod or, or the pod before. They don't really have time to deploy these guys into the best and most perfect spots if the bullpen slash rotation are the very things they've got to work out. they got to throw these guys to figure out where the hell they can throw them next. Yeah, I mean, this season's so odd. I, I keep saying how I'm a fan of tweaking things around, put guys in the bullpen, make them long relievers, do tandem starters, have an opener. I mean... 
who cares? We're we're dealing with just such an odd year and an odd season that that tinker around with things and and see what works best. Uh, I, I guess the Tyler Chatwood issues that you bring up with being in the strike zone before the injury. I mean, at least then it was it was injury based. That's that's why he was getting hit a little bit harder. Maybe his stuff was a little off. He, he had all that downward cutter action going low parts of the zone that was lifted up when he's got a back issues I guess uh, technologically speaking of why he was put on the injured list but you're right the whole control issues is a whole other factor because then you are talking about previous Tyler Chatwood Uh, in terms of Jose Quintana I guess I would say good start need to see more though who knows what we're gonna see definitely not a finished product but it seemed like he felt good he felt emotional David Ross liked what he saw. I, I, all those three runs were charged to him, but he was off the mound at the time. So, I mean, that's got to say for something. But yeah, I mean, just unfinished product, but a, but a good start. So yes, that's promising for the Cubs, I guess. But what is this year four for Jose Quintana now? I mean, they kind of know what they got from him. Yeah. How how far did you get in writing the eulogy of the 2020 Cubs <laughs> tonight? Like I I no I'm I'm genuinely wondering. It, it, it's gonna. I know that sounds like I'm picking on you. I'm I'm really not. I'm curious because I'm not there yet, and I wonder. I wonder how much I'm missing of where you are. Well, it, it started like this. Uh, I've known the Cubs since I was three years old. No, not really. Um, again, I was I was just sitting on my couch just trying to pick up, like, what happened to these Cubs? And I guess it's just maybe it was just baseball being revived and this rotation that was so such a full force. And then the offense, like, oh, wow. Connor was right. Kyle Schwarber is better in left field. Yeah. Look at what Ian Happ's doing. Nico Horner hitting the crap out of the ball. This is so much fun to watch. And now just little by little, those things are disappearing. Not so much with guys like Schwarber or Horner and certainly not Ian Happ. But it, it's just it's it's very cub over the last couple of years. Just just kind of gets watered down and you know, the past couple of years, it's been, oh, well, we'll trade for this to, to patch up this hole and get this fixed. And that's not really an option this year. So that's that's what leads me to really worry about where the Cubs season ends. was nice to see Nico Horner get a couple of knocks on Wednesday night against the Tigers. I, you know, I, I wonder, I think we've mentioned this before, like, I, I wonder how much power Nico Horner really ends up having, you know, like what his future power is. If it's if it's 50, that's probably amazing, right? I mean, probably the scout values on that right around 35 or 40, I would imagine. Um, but it's nice to see him using the middle of the field and hitting line drives, right? Just because he can't, just because he won't hit a lot of home runs doesn't mean that he can't barrel some baseballs and put a decent enough trajectory on them to end up with a couple of nice knocks. And he did. You know, hopefully that's a guy who's, you know, whose swing profile looks a little bit different, right? We've for years now, we've been saying that oh, all these guys are launch angle guys, and I don't think that that's bad. Having a lot of really good launch angle guys is great, but when a team is facing a, a whole, a whole variety or, or a whole of the same variety of hitter. That makes the assignment a little bit easier. You know, that makes your matchups just a little bit easier. And and throwing in a swing shape that's a little bit more like Nico's and a little less like uh, Schwarber's, for example, is interesting to me. I mean, that's that's an interesting aspect of the lineup that could hopefully 
uh, weather some of the drought that's coming on here. Well, and again, going back to the beginning of the year, it seemed like that's what m- most of the guys were doing. They didn't care about where the ball – well, I shouldn't say that. They they cared about where the ball was going because they were putting it at every spot of the outfield. They were just barreling up the ball. And then you get some sneaky home runs from Jason Kipnis and Steven Souza Jr. and, and David Bodie. Um, but but that was just working because the whole offense was locked in, and we've we've praised Ian Happ and the adjustments he's made at the plate. But again, it just comes down to barreling up the baseball and putting a good swing on it. And I was really falling in love with the idea of hey, these guys just want to win. They don't care about statistics this year. They just want to pull out victories left and right because they only got 60 opportunities to do so. And it, it seemed to be the case. And again, I'm, I'm not writing them off after two out of three to Detroit. I should mention. 18 division games coming up. I'll go back to saying I do think these Cubs are a playoff team, but 18 games against division opponents, that's going to decide your season right there. Even if they play poorly and are still a division team, or I'm sorry, a playoff team, it's going to show how lethal they can be in the playoffs or how valuable of a playoff team they'll be. Yeah, a couple of those are against the Pirates, though, so you're right. They're definitely going to the playoffs. (laughs) God, that's a horrible team. Um, So... As we wrap up the Cubs section here and head into what's been going on in Major League Baseball in general, um, I will, I'll just share kind of a brief overview of, of my evening, right? Um, about an hour before the Cubs game started, which was, what, like 6.10, I think, Central Time? Uh, an hour before the Cubs game started, we began to see on Twitter uh, reports that the Milwaukee Bucks, who themselves had a playoff game tonight, we're going to uh, we're, we're contemplating and this all happened fast but we're contemplating uh not playing in that game in light of the violence in kenosha which is very very close to milwaukee and i'm sure everyone listening kind of knows where kenosha is in relation to milwaukee this is a pretty chicago-centric podcast you've probably been up there before uh very quickly we learned that that game that milwaukee bucks game had been canceled um that the brewers and reds we're going to cancel their game, that the rest of the NBA would be canceling their game, and that two other games, and I don't want to, I want to make sure that I get these games right because I have in front of me both the statement from Major League Baseball and then the games themselves. Uh, San Diego and San Francisco, the games scheduled in San Diego and San Francisco, were also uh, postponed, I guess, technically speaking. Major League Baseball released a statement, and it reads thusly. Given the pain in the communities of Wisconsin and beyond following the shooting of Jacob Blake, we respect the decisions of a number of players not to play tonight. Major League Baseball remains united for change in our society, and we will be allies in the fight and racism and injustice. So also, as as this was happening on Twitter, we found, and I I saw Russell Dorsey of the Sun-Times, who covers the Cubs, I saw him on Twitter tweet that Jason Hayward would not play for the Cubs tonight, Wednesday night. And that though he would not play, he encouraged his teammates to do so. I, I won't comment on where his teammates' heads were at, nor where his was at. They're not my heads. It's not my place to say. And everybody's got their own decision to make there. I firmly understand my place in this conversation as one who is not as affected or is at the very least affected very differently than black lives and black voices who are. I'll say this, I think it is crucial, (laughs) absolutely crucial that in times like this, those of us who don't look 
and weren't brought up in the same circumstances as those who are being victimized and having violence perpetrated against them and killed need to listen to those voices. We need to listen to black voices. We need to allow them and lift them up so that they can lead the way. I am proud in a way that Major League Baseball has allowed some space for that to happen. I'm pleased to see athletes be people first, have an opinion, and have it heard. I would not expect that uh, that one night of a conversation about this, especially as it relates to, you know, specifically the conversation within Major League Baseball, is all the conversation that we're going to have about this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here's something that Anthony Rizzo said. Um, just reading this off from Twitter, Mark Gonzalez of Twitter, of the Tribune. There's a lot of common sense in this world we don't use. And then he goes on a little bit deeper and uh, a little bit more emotional and uses some significant language. Uh, You're absolutely right about having the opportunity to listen to athletes. I think when it comes down to how much money a person makes, we tend to sway one way or the other about the value of their thought or their belief. Because for some reason, people think that money can determine the value of an opinion or a belief. But we all have lifestyles and we all have backgrounds that differ. And the fact that this is athletes using their platform to express their opinion. And when it gets to that mass of a gathering... I think it's fair to listen, and I think that's what people should do is listen. Um, you, you can have your thoughts. You can have your beliefs. That's, that's why we live in this country. But you can also listen, too, and there's nothing wrong with listening. It doesn't cost anything to listen. So just, just make sure you listen. Yeah, and I, 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 I hope that that conversation is, um, is continued. At a, at a larger decibel level by those who need to be uh, heard in this in this topic. I, I really do. I really, really do. And I, I expect it will. Uh, I don't I don't think that issues like this are resolved in the minds of those affected. I, I wouldn't imagine that they're resolved in the minds of those so so closely affected in just one night of not playing a particular game. Um, if you if you go ahead and read, and I encourage you to do so, and this will be kind of the the end note on it, especially since this is more of the basketball side, and we cover baseball. And, and truth be told, um, you know I've I've read as much as I can uh, from Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN, and and his coverage of of what the NBA decided to do, but I haven't read the whole thing quite yet. Um, there was a very serious discussion with players and the NBA about what the future of their playoffs look like 
um, as it relates to this conversation and the desire that uh, that league has to have the conversation. So if you're interested, I, I recommend you go read that and, um, and understand that perspective as well. The White Sox played earlier in the day and uh, got a win uh, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They took both of those games because they played against the Pirates, and that's a really, really terrible team. In case you missed it, uh, Joe and I, after Lucas Giolito threw his no-hitter against the Pirates in Game 1 of that series, we did a, a special pod. It was just like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, something like that, where we just reacted to Lucas Giolito throwing a no-hitter, 13 strikeouts, one walk. I just saw Joe that the game score, the Bill James game score for Lucas Giolito's no-hitter was a 99, which is remarkably high. Uh, 13 strikeouts and a no-hitter is pretty uncommon. You don't see often double-digit strikeouts in a no-hitter. In fact, only 19, I think it was 19 strike, 19 um, no-hitters have had double digits in them, which seems, I don't know what that hits you as, but that seems like a very low number considering how many no-hitters baseball has had and yet I guess the reason for that would be so many no hitters happened in the dead ball era you know like 20s 30s 40s 50s where you just didn't see as many strikeouts in a term of course that's interesting how many how many no hitters are there I don't know off the top of my head but are there I was gonna say there is I I, I'll I'll find you the number let me find you the number yeah so there is over a hundred um the other thing is I mean I'm not taking anything away from a no-hitter, but you can have a base runner. So a lot of times a double play will play into your advantage because you get the ball in play, and that's one less pitch that you would throw possibly. But, um, yeah, no, I guess I guess that is pretty surprising. I, I was even more surprised. I think that was the best game pitched by a White Sox pitcher ever, right? Because Mark Burley's perfect game only had so many strikeouts. Yeah, wasn't Philip Umber's Philip Umber's perfect game against Seattle was pretty good, and I think it holds a higher game score. I'd have to look that up. I'm, I'm looking up the no-hitters now. It's 304 no-hitters officially recognized by Major League Baseball since 1876. Although, if I recall correctly... That does not include any no-hitters from the Negro League because for, for no good reason, the Negro Leagues are not determined as professional baseball leagues. Again, for no good reason. If you want history on that, there's there's plenty of places we can point you. Uh, there's combined no-hitters, but 304 no-hitters are counted in Major League Baseball history, and something like 19 or 20 have had double-digit strikeouts. So Phil Humber had nine strikeouts in his perfect game. I'm trying to find Mark Burley's box score. I do like bouncing around these because it's it's just fun to compare the elite performances by players. But Mark Burley's perfect game, he had six strikeouts. Um, but, but, I mean, that's Mark Burley. We know Mark Burley to be the ground ball quick pitching right. pitcher. Um, I don't know. Like, of course, I want to keep talking about how great the White Sox are right now, but, but man, it, it's just so cool when when a player does something like that. I, I mean, heck, the the entire broadcast on Wednesday's game was basically like 
the hangover party of Lucas Giolito's no-hitter. I mean, everyone was just talking about that. They kept showing highlights. They talked to Giolito for a whole inning just about his performance, and rightly so, and rightly so. But, it, I mean, it was on the phone. It was on the phone. Like, this audio wasn't the best, but you wanted to hear everything he had to say. It's just, it's so cool. And I, I love the aspect. I, this might be just super way too into it, and maybe it's just me, or maybe it's a baseball thing, but I love how it's a day game after, and it's so such a quick turnaround. It's just one of those things where everyone still caught that vibe from what happened the night before, and like there's still that buzz in the ballpark, even though clearly no one was there the past two days. Um, but, but I thought that was cool, and even the fact how Lucas said, because he has, I mean, clearly the White Sox have the off day coming up on Thursday, so he's got an extra day in between starts. So he said, you know, I just kind of took it easy today. Yeah, I mean, why not? He probably could have showed up in the third inning, and Owen probably would have argued he wouldn't do that because that's the type of person he is. But uh, it's it's just always cool when that kind of thing happens. Well, I'll be honest. I, I half expected Lucas, like as I thought about the day game after night game, I was kind of expecting Lucas to be pulling like a weekend at Bernie's, sitting with the dark glasses and not being able to move like the very end of the dugout because that's how you kind of expect a guy who's thrown a no-hitter to show up at the ballpark the next day. But I don't, like, first of all, there's a pandemic. There's nowhere to go. You can't go do that kind of stuff. Not the way that not the way that you would traditionally go celebrate throwing a no-hitter your first in the major leagues. But also, you know, you've got this this kind of weird I don't know it's it's Lucas right I, I don't even know if he's into that kind of thing and even if he was you you don't have the I don't know I, I don't know if he needed the buzz from the fans because it's so ridiculous that you're doing it in the time you're doing it but had he had the buzz from the fans it's like this unquantifiable extra stuff that you go out into the night with that you show up at the ballpark the next day with having had you know, 20,000 people there with you the entire time you were doing this thing. There's just like, like obviously Lucas Giolito is riding a high right now. Like a, like an actual surge of adrenaline and chemical in his body, right? But it's not what it would have been with fans because he didn't have it. You know, it's just, and that doesn't make it less. It just makes it not like anything we've really ever seen. Well, actually, on the score, he talked with Danny Parkins and Dan McNeil, and he mentioned how... Who are those guys? Do I know them? I don't know. Are they good? I, I think you may, they, have, okay. you may know one yeah. one or both of them anyway. Oh, they're good guys. <laughs> um, he said that this whole quarantine kind of helped him in that situation, just be able to zone out a little bit, focus in on the task at hand. I mean, we chopped it up all we could in that podcast about how he and James McCann are tied together like a knot and how they're just sinking and have the same kind of chemistry that that allows them to think about the same thing at the same time so they already had that but I mean I put up on Twitter what what do you think is harder to throw a no-hitter with nobody there or to throw a no-hitter with everybody there I the the ballpark cam I think from MLB Network from center field it was so weird. I didn't I didn't notice it until like the third time I saw the clip, but clearly Lucas Giolito throws his hands up in the air, gets mobbed by this, his teammates, 
and you see all those cardboard cutouts, and then there's like one or two scouts. Yeah. And they just like one took out their phone and was filming that, and it's just like, man, like they can't even just really celebrate it or enjoy it or anything like that. It's pretty much the only people that were were the broadcasters. Like aside from the team, the only people that could really celebrate it or just show emotion. I guess with the broadcasters, maybe people in in the truck and, and things like that, but it's just it's just so weird to see all the business people be so businessy in that type of moment. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way because I in listening to that broadcast, Jason Benetti was. I mean, he was emotional. I mean, he was. I, I think you can kind of tell. I I only know him a little bit, but I I think White Sox fans know him really well and you could tell that he was emotional. I hadn't thought of it from the perspective of there are no fans, therefore this broadcast may need some emotion that can't be delivered by the 25,000 people that aren't there kind of thing, right? I, I, that's interesting. I, I, wonder, I wonder if Jason was thinking of it that way. I wonder if he was even able to think of it that way as, as he's calling a no-hitter, right? I mean, Jason's a, a brilliant guy, but... If he's sitting there not thinking about that kind of stuff and just going, okay, let's just call a good no hitter here, I, I, you wouldn't blame him for that either. It was it was part of his, at least the final inning. I don't know if it was the final out, maybe the second out, but he said something along the lines of, "No one's able to be here, but everybody's heart is in their throats." I, I don't want to totally yeah. say it, or say that I know what exactly he said, but it was something along those lines. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I, I we talked about it on the last podcast the the unique relationship a broadcaster and a pitcher have after putting together a, a no-hitter or a perfect game. Here's the other thing I'll, I'll say, and again, this might be splitting hairs. This might be way too into it. They say a no-hitter and a perfect game, too, for this matter. They say those things are well-pitched games, yeah, if not greatly-pitched games, with a little bit of luck. And I, I think anybody who's thrown one can, can say that. But I sometimes like the no-hitter a little bit more for the team's sake. Like, every, obviously a perfect game, that you need nine guys in the field to, to complete that. But sometimes there's a fantastic double play after the walk. Sometimes in Mark Burley's case in 2007, there's the pickoff. I mean, the defense has to adjust with a runner on, things like that. I I just always kind of think that the no-hitter is just a little bit more, which is is interesting because the perfect game is, is the high almighty cannot do anything better, even though I do think that Mark Burley's no-hitter should be redacted to a perfect game because he picked <laughs> off his only right, base right, right. runner allowed, who insanely was Sammy Sosa. So I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, well, first of all, I love that you, you have – layers of nuance within your no hitter preferences like that's just that's beautiful that like man after my own heart that is absolutely fantastic you say beautiful and a lot of people are probably saying insane no of course it is of course it's insane but there's beauty in that insanity like oh here's this thing let's that everyone loves let's order and rate these things and make (laughs) sure that not one of them is like any other we must make difference like that's fantastic because that's what baseball does we've been doing for 150 years uh, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it, it was tweeted out at some point uh, this evening, Wednesday evening. The Statcast leaders in exit velocity for the night. I'll read up from five to one. Uh, White Sox designated hitter Edwin Encarnacion one eleven point six. Anthony Rizzo one twelve, which incidentally was on a ball that got caught in the in right field. Ronald Acuna Jr. was number three with one fourteen. 
114 even. Luis Robert, 114.5, had the second hardest hit ball of the night. He also had the hardest hit ball of the night, 116.4 miles per hour. So that's three socks, well, three socks batted balls in the top five of exit velocity. I know there's some West Coast games probably coming tonight, down tonight as we're, as we're doing this. Um, but still, it's, it's nice to see that list and even nicer to, I don't know, this, this, this White Sox team is, in my opinion, ready to join Tier 2 of the American League. I, they're not a Tier 1 ball club. Not in the American League, and certainly, you know, no one's touching the Dodgers, right? So everything after that is like tier two, and you know, I, I, they're probably not close to the Astros necessarily, or maybe the Braves, but they're there with, you know, I, I think the Padres, they're there, and I think, I think this is a, you're looking at a tier two major league baseball team, certainly in the American League. It's pretty wild. Everybody keeps bringing up this White Sox team with the 2015 Cubs. That was the first year that showed the rebuild worked. And look at what we can do with all this young talent. I don't like to draw comparisons too often, and I don't necessarily compare those two side by side. But I will say this. The one thing I remember after the Cubs season ended in 2015 is they're going to be the favorites for the World Series. They they are going to be the team that everyone thinks is going to take the next step, win the World Series. I truly think that's going to be the 2021 White Sox, no matter what they do this season. It's going to be, all right, all the young talent is finally up. We've filled in some of the holes that we had. Now they've got experience playing with each other. I'd imagine they'll have some playoff experience like heading into spring training, the first question is going to be something along the lines of how are you going to be a World Series team this year or how, how does this team approach being a World Series team? And I think, I think it's a fair assessment. Um, I do think it's a lot of pressure, but I think teams can handle pressure. I do think the White Sox can be one of those teams, but that is something to keep in mind um, whenever, however, this season ends. I think you're right on that. I think you're I think you're right on that. Like, think about it. Let's go down the teams. And I didn't mention the teams that are clearly in Tier 1 of the American League like I should have. Because, obviously, that's the Twins, that's the Rays, that's the Yankees, and that's the A's, right? I would put Houston in there, too. Um, some wouldn't. I think that's splitting some hairs, but I, I get it, you know, if we want to make the argument one way or the other. the Going into 2021... The Twins won't be sexy enough because they won't have come off a season where they hit as many home runs as the as the Yankees did, right? Or, or one more home run than the Yankees did. And they're the Twins, right? They're just not a, they're not that sexy a ball club. The Rays always get thrown aside, right? No matter how good they are, they don't spend money, and that doesn't attract national. Like MLB.com isn't going to have the Rays on the very top because that won't move a headline. The Yankees will be, right? I, I don't think anything... Because they're the Yankees. They're the Yankees. They're also, they're also very, very good. And they'll likely, you know, make a move or two here in the, in the offseason. The A's never get press. And, and maybe they'll pick up some. People will still look at the 2021 season and go, Oh, finally, 162 games in which we get to hate the Houston Astros again. Sign me up for that. So that leaves you, in my opinion, with two sexy dark horse picks in the 2021 year, and that's the Chicago White Sox 
and the Toronto Blue Jays. And and for my money, with Keuchel and Giolito and the potential of, I don't know, Dunning or Cease or one of those, or, or Kopech coming back, give me the White Sox in terms of sex appeal over the Blue Jays and Nate Pearson and all of those other really, really fun bats that they have too. I, I think you're dead on, man. That's They're going to be the sexy, dark horse American League team. Well, weren't they one of the most highly picked teams in Vegas or something heading into this year? I mean, Eddie Olchek did they, in Illinois. I know that. Right. They they were, but the the sense I got of that was, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but the sense of that, that I got was a lot of the quant betters, you know, guys who were really running some big numbers here and running some algorithmic stuff, realized that in such a short season – wide variance benefits teams like the White Sox because of of how they're set up, right? So I think, you know, even like, yes, hype helped move some of those tickets, but I think also some of the math did as well. I, I think in terms of just hype, you know, maybe over the math going into 2021, that hype will absolutely be as hot as possible for the White Sox, assuming you know, assuming they're they're healthy going in. Okay, White Sox fans, here you go. Uh, here you go. I mean, 2005 came up kind of out of nowhere. All this talk and worry about a rebuild, and now you're seeing it pay off right now. But but this is the sweet spot because next year the expectations are through the roof. I mean, right now you're just you're just trying to get through the season, see what can happen in the playoffs. But next season again. Young talent, few years, or rather a year under your belt with some winning, some playoff games, some playoff atmosphere, even without fans. And I guess maybe we could talk about that, having the World Series in Texas. Um, but next year, it's it's just gung-ho. It's, it's here we go. We have no reason not to have World Series expectations. And this is the sweet spot. I mean, you got to soak it in. You got to enjoy it right now if you're a White Sox fan. I, I find it interesting. Like, are we, are White Sox fans ready to change the narrative about Ricky Renteria yet? <laughs> because I I would bet the answer, I bet the simple answer is no, right? But shouldn't it be? I mean, he's got him playing really well. Jose Abreu's hitting again. All of these, right? I mean, all of these things. He's weathered so many injuries, in terms of starting rotation and the bullpen, Aaron Bummer might be the best reliever in the city. He ain't pitching, and he might not be back this year. I, I hate hearing bicep when it comes to a pitcher. I don't like that at all because bicep's usually just pain that's being masked by whatever inflammation or, or pain as a result of whatever inflammation is coming around from an elbow. Scares the hell out of me. But he's doing all of this down a good number of quality ball players. And I think that's that's a good point to bring up after a mini two-game sweep over the Pittsburgh Pirates. I, I'm not poking fun at you, but how you said, you know, they're the freaking Pittsburgh Pirates who... Oh, they're <laughs> so bad. That clearly bad. But hey, this is a team that's still kind of dinged up. I mean, and they, and they don't have to apologize for these wins. They don't have to apologize for a no-hitter. It's freaking hard to pitch a no-hitter. You can't apologize just because that's the way the schedule works out. And I, I mean, how much backlash did Ricky Renneria get when he was handcuffed a little bit by some injuries? I don't know. I mean, it's 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 an age-old marriage where baseball fans hate the manager for the way the lineup is and, and the way bullpens arms are used. But at some point, you've got to, you've got to, okay, here's the thing. If you're going to be so critical of Ricky Renneria, you got to look at some of the good things that he's done as well. And you've got to be just as aware 
of when he does something that works out in their favor. I mean, he got torn apart for the Yohan Mankata sit in game one against the Cubs. Turned out not to matter. And then Steve Stone mentioned on the broadcast on Wednesday how maybe that day and then Monday with the off day too just gave him that extra rest that he needed because he does look just a little bit more crisp in the box. Yeah. Yeah, I I wonder if... You know, I wonder if at some point, if the White Sox are, you know, because it's it's 16 teams in the playoffs, right? You don't necessarily have to win that division. And and depending on how the standings look, whether it's the White Sox up by five or six games, you know, they go catch the Twins or maybe the Twins space some things out and they're up five or six and the White Sox have their spot already decided for them. If you don't look at Yohan Mankata, given the way he's, he just doesn't look 100%, right? But you need as much of Yohan Mankata as you could possibly get, given all the other injuries you've got around you in in whatever playoff push. I wonder if there's not, you know, a three-day off stretch for Yohan Mankata with an off day and then a couple of games coming up here. I, not not right now, but as those standings uh, kind of soothe themselves out. Well, that's honestly what, what the winning does. I mean, going 9-1 and one gives you the luxury or the availability to do that and sit a guy for a few days straight because, again... The White Sox basically just won 24 out of 27 games if we do the 2020 math. So, That's right. I mean, that, that, that buys you some time with some of your superstars that are lingering with some issues. Uh, here's hoping Jose Abreu keeps knocking them over fences and keeping the White Sox afloat. It's been incredibly fun to watch. That does it for Episode 10 of the Baseball from Home podcast. It's out a day early. But don't worry, episode 11 will be back on schedule. It'll be out Monday morning for you after the White Sox and Cubs have played their series over the weekend. He's Joe. I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you Monday morning.